that's the strong female lead. <laughs> there you go. Welcome to the Working Women Podcast, where we <laughs> amplify the voices and discuss the contributions of women in the arts, media, and culture sector. I'm Dawn Monique Williams, joined by Roberta Insco, and we are your hosts. Hey, Roberta. Hey. Tell the <laughs> listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Roberta Insco. Should I do pronouns? Let's get it. Yes. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm a director, choreographer, intimacy choreographer, um, multi-hyphenate artist, producer, list goes on. Yep. I have the same list, (laughs) y'all. It's the same list. And now we're adding podcasters to that list. And check it out. We wanted to call this thing. Strong female lead. (laughs) Um, uh, But because we're bright ladies, we went on the internet and visited Le Google and discovered that, well, there's already a podcast called Strong Female Lead. Check it out. We encourage you to listen to that. So we pivoted. um, And for now, we're going to go with working women. That's what we're going to call our little show here. Working women. Working, working women. Working women. Working women. Uh, we'll work on that jingle. <laughs> Get you guys something great. Um, so check it out. Um, our first several episodes are going to be uh, specifically focused on Queen Charlotte, a Bridgerton story created uh, by the one and only Shonda Rhimes. Uh, based on the Bridgerton books that she also has produced into um, two seasons of television. So we're going to take one episode at a time. This Queen Charlotte series currently has six episodes, so we think we're going to go a one-to-one ratio on on there and give you uh, six episodes on Queen Charlotte and then move on to some other cool stuff. Uh, Roberta, why did we choose Queen Charlotte? Why did we choose it? Um, I think, first of all, that it's the best of the three kind of within this universe, within this Bridgerton universe. And so, um, you know, it's a little bit of an origin story. And that is something that we really gravitate towards um, and how they yeah, I don't want to get too much into our topics, but I just think that because it it stood out and they just keep getting better and better. The language and the dialogue keeps getting better and better. The storytelling and everything. So it just seemed like a winner winner. I concur. It's definitely my favorite of the Bridgerton universe um, on Netflix as created by Shonda Rhimes. Uh, I haven't read the books. Have you read the Bridgerton books? I read the first one. Not my favorite. It It's hard to read on the page because it doesn't do the things that, you know, Shonda is famous for in how she produces. So the stuff that even feels kind of cringy in season one um, is even worse in the book. More cringe. Yeah. The book is giving more cringe. Yeah. I, I didn't even try. Like, I picked it up and I was like, oh, this is for like 13-year-olds. Um, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like a 13 year old could read it, but like it's that's not the target demographic. <laughs> I didn't think I was either. And I'll, I'll tell you honestly what even 
got me to watch Bridgerton is that I'm like such a like Jane Austen adjacent fan. Yeah. And I'm so hungry for people of color inside stories of that period. Mm -hmm. Um, And Shonda had started a a Romeo and Juliet sort of like parallel universe prequel series that was very quickly disrupted by the pandemic. And then I I guess nobody liked it but me. (laughs) Um, And so it just went, it went nowhere. And um, so when when Bridgerton was all the buzz, I was like, well, I'm gonna check it out. And I loved it. I love season one, yeah. even with the like cringe, even with the like, ooh, ah. ooh. And then of course season two came and it was even better. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, they took the notes. And then season three is like, so they good. took the notes. Yeah. And I think what's so great about this kind of universe is that Shonda is able to, with her writing, address actually head on the issues that, um, aren't really covered in like Jane Austen period pieces that do include actors of color. They're just including actors of color within the story. And, and there's not really a lot of like, what are the repercussions socially? Like there's no acknowledgement of that um, interpersonally. And so she is able to accomplish that in, in these seasons. And I think that that makes a big difference. Uh, I think you set that up perfectly for sort of like the first topic that I have for us to talk about, which is the frame using Lady Whistledown and how she says any liberties taken by the author are intentional. Um, And well, hello, listeners. I'm a queer black woman in case you didn't know that. Um, So I immediately read into that like, Mm -hmm. hey, Charlotte's black. We don't want to get any letters that are like, but that's not historically accurate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I wonder how you received that sort of frame of like, this is not meant to be like historically accurate. This is a a fictional speculative thing. Mm -hmm. How did that sit with you? Yeah, I don't, I think I I appreciated it. as I guess kind of like a <laughs> a tr- trigger warning for those who maybe like that's not something they're looking out for that they're excited about. Um, for me, it didn't feel necessary. Like I didn't, I didn't need it, but I am willing to suspend disbelief um, and enroll the ride. I, you know, also the the realm of possibility that there are no people of colors, people of color within the like, British hierarchy is is kind of you know ridiculous I just like historically I'm sure there's something going you know like someone has heritage somewhat cultural heritage somewhere else um so I'm I'm down with it for me it's like it it feels like it it should be always like this like we should always have more representation and diversity on screen word up as a descendant of the Scottish King Macbeth. Hello. I agree. <laughs> I'm what they mean by black Irish. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally, I, I appreciated it. 
Uh, and yes, I agree that hopefully one day we get to a place where like we don't need such a blatant yeah. like disclaimer to like populate the world with the people in it. That the idea of like populating the world with like inclusivity is so radical. Like it should just it should just be. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, London was like a major port yeah. town. I mean, like it's freaking island. So like all the people with access to a boat could like it. So. Nah. Uh, great. So what I really, you know, want to talk about. Yeah. Because we're like romance geeks, right? <laughs> like we spend way too much time reading romance novels. Never enough time. <laughs> Is the the all famous like meet cute scene. Mm. Um, and so I'm just, I just want to know what you think about how Charlotte and George finally actually met. Yeah. So I have the like answer of when I watched it the first time. And now that I've like watched slash listened to it four times, my answer has changed. So like the first time I was I was swept. I was swept up in it. I thought it was so perfect. Um, he's, he's so charming. Um, already quick with the like romantic one-liners that Shonda is so famous for. You're incomparable. Can someone tell me that, please? Um, So I was into it. And within that moment, she's already built into the dialogue, like themes of consent and choice. So that, that he gave her that choice to make the decision, like, obviously felt very kind of romantic for that moment as I have watched it over and over again now my point of view has shifted say more I I, I feel like mm, I feel like he 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 tricked her a little bit that you know like he knew why he knows why um there's a lot of kind of rigor morale with getting someone who is going to be not privy to um, what his needs are mentally, physically, like, um, and, you know, it's kind of undiagnosed in this, you know, current moment. They don't know what it is um, that makes him different. Stick to episode one, Roberta. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, he... I, he, he he tricks her a little bit and and we of course the betrayal of that comes out at the end of the episode and that hit harder for me the the times that I watched it after the first time so the first time I was like yes into this this is such a beautiful moment it's shot so well um I just love it so much and then as I continue with it sitting with it I was like oh that's like he really charmed her and to make to seemingly make a choice but she really didn't have a choice and and he didn't give her the information so that when he behaves that way at the end of the episode it really hurts and for me that like which is so brilliant about the show is that we see kind of both sides of him immediately. We see the charmer and then we see the kind of like harsh, flippant, 
um, kind of protective of self side that harms other people by his actions. Yeah, I definitely felt like this particular meet cute gets a lot of audience buy in. First of all, these two human beings are stunning. stunning. Like, <laughs> like, hello, gorgeous people oh of the my world. Gosh. Like, so stunning. So the whole, like, is he a beast? Is he a troll? Girl, no. <laughs> he gorgeous. <laughs> so, I mean, so already just, oh. like, the, like, turn around, look who's talking to you and being gobsmacked is, like, whoa um, for both mm-hmm. participants. And then, of course... In the in the like most excellent of like Beatrice Benedict like their Lizzie, wits are matched. It's like they match wits right away. Like yeah. they like the rapport is witty. It's right on point. You could tell. I mean, already from the opening like forty five seconds of the show, you know that this is a headstrong woman. This is a strong female lead. Like you know yeah. right away. Um, that she's not with the shits. I'm going to probably curse on this podcast. I'll just, look, we'll just say not for kids, right? Um, and I then mean. If, if they listen, they listen. <laughs> kids curse. Uh, <laughs> the most. Uh, so I, I, too, was really, really charmed mm-hmm. um, the first time because I, too, have taken in this episode well, five times. Yes. <laughs> it, research. Research. Preparation yeah. for the show. Um, and um, I find that I'm still like I'm still sort of swept up because mm-hmm. because it's so clear to me that um, that she is full of self determination mm-hmm. that she has like this little subversive edge to her the fact that she was gonna like scale the wall anyway like in a gown in a in in whalebone which she made sure we knew could Mm. end her life at any moment (laughs) um and i really appreciate you naming that right away in that first episode from that scene where they first meet and he's with the like george just george if you're to be my wife it's just george so that when we get to that end of the episode and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. You know, I appreciate that you named that. That like he does sort of flip the script on her mm-hmm. and she and she flips the script on him. Like, okay, your majesty. Mm-hmm. Noted. She's quick. She's brilliant. Yeah. She's really brilliant. Uh, I feel like that's a sort of perfect segue to um, to the big topic that was on your mind in terms of agency and in particular female agency um, Mm -hmm. because there's so many like delicious women in this world Mm -hmm. do you want to jump in there yeah and I will try really hard to remember to stick to episode one (laughs) um yeah I think like we are set up with Shonda's brilliant dialogue already this um This idea of choice or lack of choice that many of the characters have that they're so that first scene in the carriage, the whalebone scene um, and and that her brother Adolphus is like, you don't have a choice and I don't have a choice. And it's because of the power structure of our countries and like already setting that up as a dynamic I think was so smart and then throughout the episode we see how many of the characters are fighting for agency 
um, and 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 the like restrictions placed upon them because of the society that they live in. Like all of the characters are the one that really, st- other than of course Queen Young Queen Charlotte, um, that stood out to me was Queen Mother, um, George's mom, and in that scene where they're talking about of course uh young charlotte being too brown um but that the solve for that is she comes up with the idea but she can't have the idea so she has to like circumnavigate that by saying the palace the print the the king has come up with this idea so therefore it couldn't be a problem but girl you had the idea like you decided that the court is going to be filled with more people of color so that it looks intentional that they're making this decision to marry the king to a woman who has more melatonin in her skin so like and we will see more of her doing those similar actions throughout the season which i think is so cool because i think she could easily be a villain um but there's something that i really admire about her character because we see her too fighting kind of within the social restraints yeah yeah um yeah and to keep it uh you know to episode one we'll you know we'll limit what we say but it's very true the lengths that she goes to um uh, to be a sort of by proxy ruler, you mm-hmm. know, to sort of ensure that there's no threat to her son's kingdom mm-hmm. um, because of his needs or other interests or, 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 right? Because he's like into astrology and farming. <laughs> Farmer George. <laughs> um, so absolutely she could, if if we were to just think of her as one or two dimensional, she could absolutely be the villain, but there. There's so much complexity mm-hmm. there um, that that Shonda has sort of like cooked mm-hmm. into the character, um, and then of course one of the Bridgerton uh, like universe's sort of favorite characters, Lady Danbury, mm-hmm. we see very much as a young African princess married to a much older oh, African yes. prince. And I mean, like the way we are introduced to the young Lady Danbury is really in a sex act that she's not thrilled to participate in and has to kind of completely scrub her body afterwards. So that idea of like agency, like what choice did she have as a young foreign princess to be married to a much older man and to have to um, like be submissive to him and, and offer her body and bear his children. Um, And, and it's such a great, in terms of origin stories, it's such a great way to go back in time and meet Lady Danbury, because the Lady Danbury we know from Bridgerton season one and two is like a woman about She's town, a widow. Right? She's yeah. like, she knows everybody's, she's mm-hmm. making moves. She knows everybody's business. She's a matchmaker. She's a connector. You yeah. know, she's, she's highly regarded. She's held in such high esteem. And so to go take this like jump back in time, and yeah. the first thing we see is her sort of I, I I you know in some of the like blogs and stuff people have referred to it as rape. Um, certainly she's not enjoying yeah. her time um, in that sex act. So it's like 
oh wow like how did we get from this young woman to the woman we've already mm-hmm. met in the in the seasons one and two it's only the beginning only the beginning um and so and so i think the question of agency where she's concerned is one we yeah. will keep coming back to like episode over episode um uh to just even see within this first episode this idea that like oh now you're gonna be part of the queen's court, court. and mm-hmm. what leverage that gives her uh, and gives her husband that that's how they become elevated to lord and lady danbury mm-hmm. i think is really great um and of course i think like m- maybe i don't even know if we meet the young violet in this first no episode. we don't so um so that's an that's another one that we'll that we'll mm-hmm. get to spend some time with shortly so excited um juicy information (laughs) (laughs) um of course something that i have loved so much from both seasons one and two of bridgerton that is you know making its way into queen charlotte two is um the soundtrack and the you know the Beyonce's Halo, mm. <laughs> the orchestral version of that. For their wedding. That plays under their wedding. It's mm-hmm. just like so stunning. And I just wonder, like, you know, the music nerd in you, mm-hmm. how are you feeling about the soundtrack? Obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> Obsessed. Honestly, I think that that was the thing that pulled me in the fastest for season one and two of Bridgerton proper. Um, is that they chose to go with contemporary songs that are quick to the ear so that we know exactly what they are, even though they're orchestrated with like, you know, string instruments. Um, I think it's such a brilliant move. Um, and it it ties in all of the kind of contemporary themes that they're uh, working through in the script and the language. Um, and the casting choices. So like to have that also sonically just feels really right for the show. Um, yeah, I'm I'm into it. I love it. I did notice that at the the first chunk of this episode, it is like string orchestrations, but it's nothing recognizable until the end of that first episode. So I thought that was a really interesting choice to kind of evolve the sound there. Um, in that way, it's like we're really getting the back back story so that we're not quite in that universe of sound. Um, and then as the we jump into like the juicy stuff is when we drop that Beyonce halo so that it it feels very intentional, very smart. Um, and yeah, I'm super in. Certainly Bridgerton fans have come to expect that right because in Bridgerton seasons one and two we we got the like string quartet giving us like Rihanna mm-hmm. and, like Ariana Grande and mm-hmm. so you say it's very intentional like yeah because it's sort of like that delayed gratification yeah. of like okay are we making a different choice exactly here? oh boom it drops and you're like okay yes yes that's been one of the things that I just love so much you know how big I am into anachronism and so to hear the string quartet do these arrangements of what are like really just pop songs that we listen to right now on the radio um sung by strong female beats um (laughs) is just like 
yeah. so, so sick. And, and as a director, it's something that I've been incorporating in my work for years and years and years. And so to, it's sort of like a little validation, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, Shonda, <laughs> mm-hmm. iron sharpens iron. Yeah. Music is such a gateway into storytelling. And I think automatically you can't help it but even hear the lyric even though we're not hearing the lyric but we're playing it in our head so that helps with the narrative of what's going on in the moment that that the choice of song was so specific that it was a song performed written and performed by a black woman that it's like that to have that in that particular moment just felt really yeah perfect i mean shonda's brilliant that she is um call me (laughs) hey shonda girl um so here's something that i was really thinking about like i don't know like the third time that i was watching the episode I, i mean the question came up for me the first time watching the episode but certainly by the third time um where the anxiety you know of the unknown is like actually Diminish because you're like, why? Well, I, I I actually not only know how this episode ends, I know how the whole mm-hmm. season ends. Um, but to go from that moment of Charlotte and George sort of separating on their wedding night mm. to then cut to all these years later, and it's like they have 15 children. Yeah. So it's like, well, okay, well, <laughs> they spent too many nights apart. Like <laughs> they somehow made it work. Like yeah. you got some swaining to do. So that anxiety of like, wait, but I want a love story. What yeah. did I show up for? Um, and so it, it. So in terms of the narrative structure, that was sort of delicious. Mm. Like because it was like a little um, dangling carrot. Yeah. Um, but it but it wasn't completely delayed gratification. Yeah. Um, and yet to see Charlotte um, now take on the role of like her mother-in-law and to like really be at her children, like literally foot in their neck, like I need some grandbabies. Yeah. Um, I just thought the way that the, the narrative was structured for the episode, the way it was cut, like mm-hmm. the editing too, was... Um, so great and keeping my intrigue and keeping my interest and having me leaning forward. Mm-hmm. And the real question in all of this, Roberta, is because, hmm. like I said, by the third time, I sort of was like settled into something different. And the question that ran through my mind really was, how does someone like Roberta, oh, no. who hates the like, um, you don't have any kids shaming, mm. reconcile mm. that um, in this world in this context from a character that we love so much but like is sort of brutal in that demand of her children so I wondered yeah I've actually thought about this a lot and I it kind of a multi-pronged answer response in that it's it's social like that's what is expected of royalty and so although Charlotte we see her breaking away like she's so strong so strong-willed so strong of mind intelligent we see her um really kind of breaking away from some things and at the end of the day it it's 
built into what it means to be a royal. So like part of that is like, cool, 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 cool. I get that on like kind of a social hierarchical level. Um, and I'm really interested in how um, Charlotte, oh my God, my my words totally just like boop, flew out of my brain. We're talking about Queen Charlotte and uh, shaming her children for having or not having babies. Um, wow, my brain just went turned off. All good. There's there's many other things to talk about. It will come back to yes. me in like a I minute. Just, I just found myself because um, I'm 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 moved uh, by the like let's not shame people married single uh, straight gay let like let's not shame people for their like uh, reproductive choices. Um, I'm moved by that. Yeah, you are like staunchly <laughs> like you. Are, I am. But I'm like a little like, well, you know, like I have a kid, whatever. It was it was what I wanted to do. It's been the greatest gift of my life, you know. Like so, I'm sort of like whatever, kind of you know. Yeah. On, on that like, but I am a mom, cloud nine of it all. And you were like, not everybody wants to have kids. So so I just I thought of you watching it, yeah. watching how kind of harshly critical she was, especially of her daughters, um, and sort of like casting them off as shrews. Right. Well, also, we don't, I did remember what I was going to say, but this is not it. Um, <laughs> also, that they didn't have the medical information to know why or why not someone can have 15 babies versus someone can't. So, like, a part of me is willing to, like, give a little grace in that kind of understanding. Um, and what I do remember is what I was going to say is that what I love about Queen the Queen Charlotte, she's so strong-minded um, and the way that she's written um, that that we we see her, you know, say things maybe in kind of a blunt or matter of fact or a way that maybe turn like is it turns you off like is she just says the thing which I love and part of what I th I thought was intentional about that is setting up that she's from another country that her first language maybe isn't English and I thought there were a couple like nuggets of that in the this first episode the brother sa says a couple german words um but that there is a quality of speech a way of thinking that is blunt and to the point that i really appreciate that i thought like oh it kind of gives that like i'm just not from here and i think differently and i act differently um and yeah i'm strong-willed and also i live in a time that this is the expectation so you know i it, it's like kind of a yes and situation. Um, and I think that she, th that it's written really well to the sense that we get a sense of her character not being British. Like the way that she even talks and behaves is just different. Absolutely. Definitely in her fashion sense. Like yes. From right away and the tension that she has with yeah. the Queen Mother about that. And then her changing out of the English style. Way oh, I loved that little. Own. And the hairstyles. Power move. 
like the it, it's so great because of course in Bridgerton season one and two we we meet Queen Charlotte and she seems sort of eccentric and these hairstyles and these gowns mm-hmm. and it's like what and to and to now like go into her story mm-hmm. and see like oh yeah she's that this character's from the continent mm-hmm. and it is there are different cultural norms right mm-hmm. and to see that very like from day one in the marriage she's like but this is who I am. I have my own like cultural norms and some of that is gonna have to come be here with me. Yeah, you know, and and for as much as I, you know, I feel like I have really strong opinions as as a modern woman, I'm human. Like I have moments where I also get swept up in kind of the social expectations of things that that's where I have to reckon with myself and the choices I've made and where I'm at and and think about, you know, am I happy with my decisions? And I think just like anybody else so that I, I, I don't think that the way that she's dealing with kind of the baby issue to me hit as hard I guess surprisingly that it it didn't it wasn't as like gross for me in her characterization because we contain multitudes she can be a feminist of her time and still demand that the bloodline continues because that's really what it's about yeah I mean that like you said it right like that is the social contract um I have my own personal theories of like uh, self-preservation and the meaning of of legacy and to me those things are are attached to progeny and where mm-hmm. and where we have like now in a contemporary world um, other avenues that aren't just progeny right like we can we can lean into ownership or naming things or 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 um, there was less of that right like titles again had to do with inheritance Mm -hmm. right so um so yeah well and you know hey being a mom has been the greatest blessing of my life (laughs) not everybody should do it but big ups to those who are and loving it yeah and there's support out there for those who are and are not loving it yeah let's get some let's get some tools (laughs) let's let's talk to somebody let's get a sponsor (laughs) <laughs> um, I definitely want to talk about casting. Ugh, such beautiful casting. How are all these people so astonishing? So good. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love, you know, my favorite thing is that they cast kind of, you know, unknowns that these young people don't have a giant resume that is like, they're not instantly recognizable. And so I just feel like that allows us to go on the journey with them with zero expectations. Um, And I just, and yeah, just so smartly cast. Everyone looks like their (laughs) older counterpart in some way, which of course is also a testament to like the beautiful makeup and hair and costume design. Um, down to the details of the moles on Queen Charlotte's face, you know. So 
I just think it's so brilliant. And they're good. Yes. I don't know what acting coaches they have on set or like what that work is like with the the directors, but like not only are they kind of unknowns, but they're good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it regrettably perpetuates the myth that Brits are better oh. than Americans at everything. Not all um. of them are, are British. <laughs> Young Lady Danbury is not British. Um, but they but it is quite a remarkable cast. I mean, yeah. so stunning. And I don't, you know, I don't know all the prep that the that the younger versions, like the, those casts, what they have done to get into those roles. But certainly the young Charlotte and the young Lady Danbury are so on point. Like mm-hmm. I believe that they aged into these characters that we've already spent so much time 100%. about. I, I, I feel like they're showing up and like honoring the integrity of the groundwork that, um, that their counterparts have laid while also like being new characters in new times and places in their lives on different sort of journeys. Uh, it's just really, really a remarkable group of actors. And yes, all quite aesthetically pleasing. Mm. Um, no complaints on that no. front at all. Even the like, oh, well, I don't think we actually, as I say, even the other characters we meet, but we really don't meet anyone else yet in episode one. Not yet. Yeah. Because I was going to get into my whole thing about Lady Danbury and her kids. And I was like, that's not yet. That's, that's not, not yet. yet. That's yeah. not yet. So, um, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's definitely still more more people for us to meet and more characters for us to explore. I will say that like I I love the you know the the young king George so much as an actor. Um it is a little in this moment kind of hard as an audience member to rectify that version with the one that we know from seasons 1 and 2 of of Bridgerton. Um, and I just, I feel like that is kind of set up pretty well in the sense that like, we're all about to get our heart broken on like that journey with the two of them and, and how they age and, and the, the things that they experience because the king that we know in seasons one and two is really through Charlotte's eyes. Absolutely. And so, like, seeing this young, vibrant, intelligent, young King George and and knowing what's to come, it's so hard emotionally to, like, think, like, oh. How do we go? How do we go journey? from there, here to there? Yeah, and yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm really eager to see how they tackle that. Yeah, yeah. Me too, you know. And having gotten to the end of this particular six-episode arc, there's so many opportunities for mm-hmm. additional storytelling, additional splinters, spin-offs, mm-hmm. prequel, prequel, sequel, prequel. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. there's so there's this is definitely going to turn into like a Marvel universe situation. It, it definitely yeah. can. I mean, like this this can be a a really huge and large mm-hmm. um, franchise because there's so much depth to all of these characters. Shonda is laying the track. Yes. And I am boarding the train. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Shonda. 
Um, I mean, really, before Bridgerton, this is such a just like a like a naughty confession. You know, um, the film Bell mm-hmm. uh, was my like little like little slice of like. Jane Austen for black people mm-hmm. um, and now I now I have the the Bridgerton universe as held in Shonda's imagination and I just um, I just don't want it to end and of course uh, I, I'm open to all the all the black stories on all the continents across all the worlds mm-hmm. um, and and all sorts of you know uh, native indigenous to all the different places stories and the acknowledgement that um there were there were people of color uh all throughout europe and certainly um the british isles uh like in most of human history Mm -hmm. if, if we're really being honest because lack of melanin is a genetic adaptation to environment Mm -hmm. so um well, I won't. the The podcast is not about Dawn's theories <laughs> on the social we'll construct of race. In. We will definitely sprinkle. Them. <laughs> I actually have a question for you, Dominique. Oh no! What would you say to people who didn't enjoy watching the first season to get them kind of hooked back in? Well, I definitely think I would first ask them what was it about the first season of Bridgerton that wasn't working or didn't work. Um, And then I'd say that honestly, this is um, a departure from that in that in that while these characters are like based on those books, there's no fidelity to a book in this. This is really um, what Shonda has created and what that team of staff writers um, and directors and artisans have put together that sort of is predating what the author of the Bridgerton series created. Um, and a lot, I mean, honestly, a lot of the sort of like complaints that I hear um, about that first season have to do with people not being that into Daphne, who wasn't really an issue for me, but I hear that as, mm-hmm. as being a big complaint. And like, there's no Daphne equivalent in no. Queen Charlotte, like, like these these women are like flirty and determined and sexually vibrant mm-hmm. and smart and um, complex and feeling and they love and they want to be loved. You know, like these are really well rounded, complex uh, female characters, especially. Whereas I know some people thought that Daphne was a little bit sort of like complacent, yeah, a little whiny baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, and I don't think there's a Daphne equivalent. Now, now me, I was, I was like so bought and sold. <laughs> um, I mean, this is like, uh, like a, a a joke that my daughter and I were talking about the other day, where like when Bridgerton, well, still, and I'm 45. Well, in a month I'll be 45 that when that first Bridgerton came out, I definitely was like on my Meredith Grey, which <laughs> is the like, love me, choose me, right? Like the like iconic yeah. thing that I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to stop raising our daughters in this fashion. Um, but I've been there. And so I like, I don't know, it was given pride and prejudice for me that season yeah. one of Bridgerton. So I was, I was with it, but I know that there were cringe things and I know 
that people really wanted to sort of um, unpack the the issues around sexual consent yeah um and like tricking people and you know all of those things and i feel like like we said like when we started this conversation that uh shonda and that team took those notes that they really heard they were like on the socials ear to the ground and like really heard that feedback from people in terms of what the issues were and that already in season two of Bridgerton, they did some work to kind of, uh, I don't even want to say make it better, but to like um, be responsive, mm-hmm. right? Because I think in this time period that we're dealing with, there are certain social contracts, there are power dynamics, there are like class and wealth dynamics that are at play. And I feel like the writers um were responsive in how they told that story and i think with queen charlotte even more so and i feel like Mm -hmm. with queen charlotte like shonda is not shy about tackling the race issue which we did see in season two but like in season one felt like we're just kind of like leaning into like a sort of colorblind Mm -hmm. vibe and then season two was like no we're gonna we're gonna be a little bit more like culturally intentional and thoughtful and talk about it with queen charlotte like it is an issue and it is on the table Mm -hmm. the the idea that like the ton surrounding them yeah like the ton is segregated Mm -hmm. and like we we have to like address that and we have to deal with that and we have to talk about yeah what it means that these people have not been invited to balls. Yeah. <laughs> I just love even in that first episode of Queen Charlotte that we even see a visual representation of the segregation at the actual wedding, the walking down the aisle or the pre-walking down the aisle as we wait, is that we see kind of the traditional ton members on one side looking at, commenting on the members that were invited that are new. Um, and I just thought like, Oh, that was so smartly laid out visually that like separate in this episode. And then we'll see kind of how we get to that point where it's a little bit more blended. And I don't look if you're not a Shonda fan, I don't know if I can win you. What I can tell you is that like season one and two, it was clear that it had Shonda money, but not Shonda writing. And season three Mm -hmm. is clear that it, it has Shonda's writing. Exactly. That like, it has her fingerprints. Um, and for me, that's a great thing. And I've never met the woman. I don't know. I, I mean, obviously I read the trades, so I hear the stories um, that like personalities are not always <laughs> jelly. I don't know her. <laughs> We're not homegirls. What I can say is that I'm a huge fan of the creative output and Queen Charlotte is like so delicious and mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it so much and I think it built on the Bridgerton universe in such a dynamic way. Agreed. Shonda's building her empire. That empire is built. That's true. <laughs> She's building upon. Um well we probably should shift gears just a little bit. Okay. Because we want to leave a little time for our what are you reading segment. Yes. Um, Because, of course, I'm a TV junkie and I watch all the shows. (laughs) Roberta is very selective about her screen time. However, 
Sis reads 600 books a day. <laughs> so, um, and and she and I are, are members of a book club. She's in like six book clubs, but we're in a book club together. Um, and, uh, and so we talk about books often and we wanted to share a little bit of that with you all as well. So, Roberta, what are you reading? Yeah, I'm currently almost finished with, I didn't get a lot of reading time this week, which is very disappointing. Um, Please tell them what that means because last week you finished two and a half novels. So when you (laughs) say get that much reading time this week. It means I haven't finished a book yet. Okay. Like I actually didn't read it all yesterday or the day before. Um, And that is wild for me. Uncharacteristic. Yeah. Partially that's because we saw Little Mermaid finally last night and that that ate into my reading time in the yes. evening which we should do an episode on yes i mean by the time we get to it maybe irrelevant but um, we definitely should talk about a little more oh absolutely but uh i am so close to finishing this short novel called woman eating by claire coda i don't actually know how to say their last name um it's bizarre like the imagery is so bizarre it's about a a a woman who's um a vampire half like half vampire she talks about being half human half vampire um but the themes of it um are like really interesting the the kind of metaphor for eating because she doesn't eat people she doesn't eat human blood uh, for various reasons that is unpacked in the novel but this kind of idea of like being unsatiated not only in like actual tummy hunger but like in so many ways of her life she is unsatiated and the the way that that metaphor kind of unfurls throughout this very short novel I think it's less than 300 pages um is bizarre and stunning and beautiful all at the same time and it like really hooked me in um and and that she's hungry for life she's she's empty she's lonely not only empty of of actual like sustenance but like connection and um purpose and desire like and so finding that I think throughout this novel has been really interesting to like follow that journey so if you haven't checked it out highly recommend it's very good but you have to really roll with some of the bizarre imagery that is written into the text and that's woman eating woman eating by claire coda okay what google woman eating i will friends (laughs) yeah well k-o-h-d-a great coda there you go uh, that's what Roberta is reading and what's next like what's the what's next in the TBR stack in the lineup so many things I'm kind of on a break from contemporary romance she's been playing me emotionally <laughs> so typically I will read at least one romance a week I haven't done that the past couple weeks um so I'm on more of a literary fiction moment but oh actually you know what I really want to read is um um Paige's memoir um that I think has just come out or is about to come out uh Elliot Page uh what is it called Page Boy 
a memoir. I'm really interested. I'm hearing lots of good things that it not only about their journey, but also it's about being human. Um, and I think that that uh, would be really exciting. So maybe a memoir. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I think we could pitch that one too for book club. I did. It was not responded well to, remember? When did you pitch that? In our Instagram DMs. I don't recall. I'm a huge Elliot Page fan, so I would be on board. I brought it up and our fellow member, I, shout out Graham, said that they were done with celebrity memoirs. I do know celebrity we memoirs. agreed to push pause on the memoirs. Yeah. I do recall that we agreed to push pause on the memoirs. Well, maybe maybe a substack for, for part of the book. Yeah. I'm just trying to finish our book club book, which is Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. Mm. Um, which is so dense and I I had to start it a few times to just like adjust, um, what an amazing, incredible writer she is. Um, sort of can't believe it's taken me this long in my life to get to this book. And even at this moment in my life, this book really presents some challenges for me. Yeah, it was, it was hard to get into. I've finished it now. Um, but also similarly in writing style is that the imagery is like rich and thick. And so it, it's, it is a bit weedier to, to comb through. Yeah. But the way that she captures character in a non-linear way for me is really compelling. Um, the way that she writes relationships and, um, and how dynamic they can be between each other, but also like kind of greater socially is, is really beautiful. Um, yeah, I love it. I'm glad that we're on our journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for our listeners, we are going to do a year with Toni Morrison, the, the book club that we are in, uh, but we won't read consecutive Toni Morrison. So we'll do a Morrison and then we'll do a non-Morrison title and then we'll go back yeah. to a Morrison title and then we'll do a non-Morrison. And so we'll continue to alternate until we um, make it through. Uh, I don't know that we're going to do all of the Morrison canon, but we have like a, a list, I think, of maybe eight yeah. that we agreed to do. Um, great. Well, friends, that is our sort of kiki on Queen Charlotte, <laughs> A Bridgerton Story, episode one. Uh, we're going to crank out a little Bahati cast on episode two. Um, get that ready for you and have that out for you soon. Of course, we go back and rewatch each episode uh, before we do it. Uh, so we want to thank our show sponsors. Y'all, we don't have any sponsors <laughs> yet. But if you want to sponsor us. Holler at your girl. Let's do it. Like, let's make that happen. So we're th- we're thanking our future show sponsors, our show sponsors <laughs> to be. Um, Mary Mackie Productions. Mary Mackie <laughs> Productions. What's good? Um, and, and we also are open to having special guests join us on episodes of Working Women uh, to talk about a variety of topics. So, hey, if you love Queen Charlotte or The Little Mermaid, or Woman Eating, or Song of Solomon, or Elliot Page, um, like, holla at us. Um, Do join us next time when we give more women their flowers and discuss the impact they're having on arts and culture. 
I'm Dominique Williams. And I'm Roberta Insko. And thank you for listening. <laughs>